Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So turning points in relationships. So a woman was out for a walk on the beach. And as she's walking along, she finds an old bottle, very interesting bottle, and she decides to pick it up. And it looks like the kind of bottle that maybe a genie is in, so she figures, what the heck? She starts to rub the bottle, and poof, smoke, and then a genie. And the genie says to her, I will grant you three wishes. She's really excited about that. She says, but there's one little twist. Whatever you wish for, your ex-husband gets double. <laughs> she says, why? He left me for another woman. That's not fair. Jeannie says, I don't know. That's just the way this one works. So she thinks about it for a moment, and she wishes for a million dollars, and poof, she gets a million dollars. And she says to the genie, does that mean he got two million too? Yep, he got two million. So she thinks, and she says, okay, gosh, he gets double. Well, I want a red Maserati, and poof, red Maserati. Genie, does he really get two? Yep, she thinks for a moment. Genie, scare me half to death. Why are you laughing? <laughs> There's a part of us that likes that, right? We have to admit that. There's a part of us that likes that. There's a little getting even part in there, and sometimes that pops up and out of us, you know, in our relationships. We are human beings. We, we are spiritual beings as well, but we have that human aspect of ourselves as well. And it seems to show up most of all, I think, in our relationships. Of all the areas that we are challenged to practice our teachings, our spiritual teachings, our relationships are the most serious area, the most important area, sometimes the most joyous, but oftentimes the most challenging area. When I worked in the phone room for Silent Unity's prayer ministry, their 24-hour prayer ministry during ministerial training, of all the prayer requests we would get from all around the world, millions of phone calls every year into Silent Unity, the most common request for prayer had something to do with relationships. Figuring out how to forgive, figuring out how to heal, figuring out how to deal with woundedness. Of all the things that people called in for prayer support, the most common was some sort of healing or dealing with relationships. Spiritual teachers agree as well. They speak about it and taught about it in different ways, that getting along with each other, learning how to, to live with one another in harmony, learning how to live in community, requires practicing and growing spiritually. We just finished a series based on Paul's letter to the Galatians in which we took a look at the fruits of the Spirit. And that letter to the Galatians, Paul wrote to help the Galatians, the early church, that version of the early church, 
know how to be in community better, to know what are the hallmarks of one who is growing and evolving spiritually. We are different when we decide to set on a spiritual path and walk that path. And perhaps in, in no area more than in our relationships are we called to really practice. So there are seven things that I wanna share with you this morning. Seven turning points in our relationships. And the first turning point I would say is this, when we stop blaming and learn to take responsibility for our feelings. That is a significant turning point in our relationships. When we stop blaming and learn to take responsibility for our feelings. The blame game is a very old one. Do you know that it is recorded in the book of Genesis? The very first blame game story is the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Right? So Eve is tempted by the serpent to do what God told her and Adam not to do. And they get caught. And what happens? Adam blames Eve, who blames the serpent. And here we go. And there's a, the whole arc of history set before us. Maybe you can relate to these four people. <clears throat> Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Ever heard of them? There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that somebody would do it, but nobody asked anybody. It ended up that the job was not done, and everybody blamed everybody when actually nobody asked anybody. <laughs> can you relate to that? Sure, we can relate to that. The blame game is rooted in this idea that you are the reason I can't be happy. And that if I can just get you fixed, I'll be okay. If I can just send you to the right seminar, get you to read the right book, go to the right therapist or the right group, if I can just get you there, you will get all fixed and I will be happy. I will be better. My life will work. We've got it kind of backwards. We've got it kind of backwards. Living that way is so frustrating because have you noticed how it really doesn't work? Have you noticed that they usually don't want to go to those things? Have you noticed that? How they usually don't want to read that book or go to that therapist or am I talking just to myself today? <laughs> have you not noticed this? Right? We change when we are ready and willing to change. We can hold one another in prayer. We can be there as a safety net. We can offer love and support. But if we postpone our sense of happiness and fulfillment and well-being until somebody else does something, we will forever feel dissatisfied. Too many of us are playing what I call the when-then game. When this, then that. When, then. Pema Chodron said, Inner peace begins the moment you choose not to allow another person or event to control your emotions. Second turning point, when we bring our true, full, authentic selves into our relationships. That's a turning point. When we bring our full, true, authentic selves into our relationships. Until we do that, we will never really know whether that relationship is a solid, genuine relationship or not. 
The only way a relationship can be built on something solid and real is if we show up in the full sense of who we are, whatever that is. That doesn't mean that we may not still have a lot of our own growth to do, but whoever we are, however we are, we need to bring that into our relationships, into our family dynamics, into our friendships, into our work relationships. Our son Jonathan is down for a couple of days for just a short little family visit. And we were talking about some things related to some of his work and some things related to, to my work. And we got to talking a little bit about relationships. And I was sharing with him this idea of how important it is that we really bring our full authentic selves into our relationships. And he said, well, you know, mom, that's kind of something that we have at Uber. We have a cultural norm that says you've got to bring your whole self to work. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he says, well, the way that we talk about it at, at Uber is, for example, if you are a parent, you bring your whole self as a parent into work. You don't try to pretend that you're not a parent. You don't try to pretend that you don't have kids that have things to do or that you care about. If you are gay or if you are a lesbian, you bring that into your, <clears throat> excuse me, your work environment. You don't try to pretend that you're not that, that you hide that. We want the full sense of who you are at the table because it gives us a variety and diversity of opinion. That's healthy. That is healthy. Would it not be a completely different world if every child grew up encouraged to discover their authentic selves and allowed to bring that into their relationships? Do you think it would make a difference? Absolutely. And thank God that we have parents and elders and teachers who are trying to do that more today than ever before. That's where part of the healing of our human family is going to happen. You have a bright light to shine, and your light is, is not exactly the same as mine or the person next to you, but it is a light that needs to be shined wherever you are in its unique form. And we, when we all do that, it's gonna work so much better. Brene Brown says, that, or refers to this as showing up and being seen. Showing up and being seen, say that with me. Showing up and being seen. A third turning point in our relationships is when we practice clear and open-hearted communication. When we practice clear and open-hearted communication. And I would dare say, when we continue to work on getting better at it, how many of you would say, would say that you recognize the importance of clear and open-hearted communication in your relationships? How many of you would say that looking back at the last time there was something that went awry in your relationship, that maybe a part of it was that the communication wasn't honest or complete or authentic or clear or loving or kind? Nod your head if you can relate. I have an exhaustive story file, a story file that I've been collecting ever since I began ministry. And I want to read a story to you of what happens when we don't communicate clearly. The story deals with a rather old-fashioned lady who was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida. She was also quite delicate and elegant with her language. She wrote a letter to a particular campground and asked for reservations. She wanted to make sure that the campground was fully equipped 
but didn't quite know how to ask about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. After much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought she was being too forward. So she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter, and re referred to the bathroom commode simply as the BC. Does a campground have its own BC, is what she actually wrote. Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all. And when he got the letter, he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about. That BC really stumped him. After worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to other campers, but they couldn't figure out what the lady meant either. The campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady was and must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. <laughs> Hold me in prayer. So she sat down and wrote the following reply. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the camp <laughs> and is capable of seating 250 people at a time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly. But no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. <laughs> they usually arrive and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. <laughs> and it was so crowded we had to stand up the whole time we were there. <laughs> it may interest you to know that right now there is a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the BC so everyone can watch and talk about the great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. This really is a very friendly community. <laughs> Communication, or the lack of it, can cause so many challenges in our relationships, right? We misunderstand each other, we don't listen fully. To communicate directly and openly takes practice. And, and for some of us, it takes really putting ourselves out there and getting equipped, learning how to do it, and being patient with ourselves when we bumble along the way. But realizing that without being able to clearly communicate what it is that we are feeling, needing, desiring, and being able to listen as well, there's no way we're going to ever really be able to meet each other deeply, and we're not going to be able to deal through the tough stuff that comes up in life. Have you noticed that the people who can push your buttons the most are the people who are the closest to you? They are the people that we live with or that we, that we work with. And why can they push our buttons? Because they know us so well. There's an old quip that says, 
My mother can push my buttons because she installed them, right? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I know. I know, or you can substitute mother-in-law or father or, or whomever. But to communicate openly and directly requires practice and patience and skill. Here are some things I wrote to myself. Going sideways, which is one way we sometimes communicate, going sideways may give us a chance to vent some steam, but it's never gonna change anything. Stuffing what really needs to be said doesn't work in the long run either. Beating around the bush only leaves you exhausted running in circles. Blaming puts the other person on the defensive. And saying yes when you need to or want to say no damages your trustworthiness. And so we know where we are strong in our relationship skills, and we know where, we are, where there's room for improvement. And I want to suggest that every one of us look a little more carefully at this whole area of how we communicate, and are we doing it clearly and kindly. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had people come, come back from having attended um, like week-long or weekend-type seminars and workshops, and instead of coming back in a better way, it's almost like I've experienced them coming back with the license to speak whatever is on their mind and just let it all hang out. That just does not work. We're not talking about just saying every thought that comes to our mind. We are talking about being able to identify our feelings, being able to name them to ourselves, being able to understand what it is that we might need or want or request in a relationship, and finding a loving and patient and kind and clear way to express that. Knowing that just because we get good at communicating clearly does not mean the other person's always going to give us what we want. Have you noticed that? But we, get a much we have a much better chance that it will happen in a positive way if we get better on the delivery end. Does that make sense? You're really quiet this one. Okay, fourth turning point. When we replace being judgmental with being curious. Think about that for a moment. When we replace being judgmental with being curious. I don't remember where I first started to hear about this general kind of idea of, of curiosity over judgmentalness. But I, the, when I started to hear it, I started to really look at myself and I started to, to pay closer attention where and how am I being judgmental in my life. And when I would catch myself, and I'm sure I didn't catch every time I was silently doing it, but when I would catch myself, I would challenge myself, can I move into curiosity about this right now? Instead of judging this person or instead of judging this thing, can I acknowledge, okay, I've been in judgment, but let me step back here for a moment. Let me breathe into a pause point and let me see if I can bring curiosity into this. Is there something else going on that I'm not seeing because my judgment is keeping me from seeing? Remember Jesus said, Take the log out of your own eye first so you can see clearly, then think about the speck that's in your brother's eye, right? So is my judgment keeping me from seeing more fully? What's the backstory that I may be unaware of? What's the context in which this is happening, the larger context? What, what am I missing? What don't I know? What don't I know? The moment I can move off of the judgment in a relationship into curiosity, it opens up a couple of things. It opens up the possibility for insight 
that judgment keeps me from having, and it softens my heart. And I don't think there's any relationship situation that does not benefit from our softening our hearts. We can never be too kind. That does not mean that we're a doormat, but it does mean that we can still approach whatever needs to be approached in our relationships with a kind heart, with a gentle spirit. Does that make sense? It takes, it takes more effort and more work. Fifth turning point, when we see anger and cruelty as a cry for love and help. Let me say that again. When we see anger and cruelty as a cry for love and help. This is probably one of the most tough ones for us to get, a tough one. And what I know is our minds can work in, in I'm gonna call it slippery ways. When we hear a thought like this, that we are to see anger and cruelty as a cry for love and help, oftentimes our mind wants to go to the extreme and we think about the extreme brutality of humanity to humanity. And we jump right to that and we say, am I supposed to see that as a cry for love and help? And I would say, yes, we are. But how about before we jump to that and use that as an excuse for not practicing or use that as an, a way of saying there's a loophole in that, what if instead we pulled it closer to us? What if we pulled it to the people that we think of that you think of when I use the term sandpaper to your soul. You all have somebody, right? Raise your hand. If you have someone who is sandpaper to your soul, keep your hand up. Raise your other hand if you have more than one person who is sandpaper to your soul. Look around, and if there's somebody who doesn't have their hand up, give them one of yours. Because <laughs> we're into sharing. We only, you only need one good sandpaper to the soul person, right? How about looking and thinking about that person? I guarantee you that that person that you're thinking of when I use the term sandpaper to your soul is somebody that probably acts sometimes in ways that are cruel or frustrating to you or annoying or irritating, and you get hooked into it. You get hooked into it. Our sandpaper to our soul people are kind of like our relationship with them is like Velcro. We get stuck to them. But what if instead you really started practicing pausing and trying to go to that place inside of yourself of looking at where and how are they asking, not directly, not directly, but where and how are they asking for love or help or understanding or healing? Because it is in there somewhere. And if you, people used to say to me, not so much so anymore, but people used to say, what's the advanced course? This is the advanced course. Right here, practicing this level of being in relationship, to be able to reframe or understand through spiritual eyes what's behind behavior that's angry or that's cruel. Thich Nhat Hanh put it this way, when a person makes you suffer, it is because he suffers, suffers deeply within himself, and his suffering is spilling over. He does not need punishment, he needs help. I think he is so right there, so right there. Sixth turning point, breathe, because I know that was a heavy one, I can feel it in the room. Sixth turning point, when we practice being a safe place by listening with the ears of the heart, 
When we practice being a safe place, that's a turning point in our relationships. When we practice being a safe place by listening with the ears of the heart, that takes much more time. And it takes us being fully present on the receiving end of the conversation and sometimes on the receiving end of what might be a cold and prickly conversation. But to be a safe place to to practice listening with the ears of the heart I don't know that John and I have always mastered this. I'm sure we haven't always mastered it. But, but I know that in the raising of our kids, one of the things that was always important to us and still is important to us is to be askable parents, meaning that no matter what would be going on in our kids' lives, are we the kinds of parents that they could come to us and say whatever it is they needed to say and that the love would still be there, and the desire to support, and the desire to help, and the desire to stay connected would still be there. I believe we all need that in our lives. We need at least someone in our life that is that safe place for us, that when we are really troubled and challenged, when we're going through something really difficult, when we've done something that we are ashamed of or we regret, that we can have somebody in our lives that we that is safe for us to be honest and true and will love us through to the other side, through to the other side. And what a gift we give when we choose to, to practice that in our own relationships, to really practice being that safe place. And what I know is it takes a little more time and effort because reaction is quick, right? That's why we call it reaction. That's why when something happens and that reptilian part of our brain lashes out and we get angry and we want to lash out, that's almost, it feels instantaneous, doesn't it? It's maybe for enlightened beings, this kind of approach is instantaneous. It's not instantaneous for me. I have to work at this. But I know that when in relationships, when we can practice being a safe place and listening with the ears of the heart, we do an awful lot to facilitate healing in the other. And then the last turning point, and this is brief, the last turning point is when we learn to see all others as our teachers. When we learn to see all others as our teachers. I know that this is true. I know that I can learn something from every single person, from the person who is sandpaper to my soul, to the person whose life is completely different than mine, from the person whose political points of view may be completely opposite of mine, from somebody that's a young child to somebody that's many years older than me to a peer. I can learn something from everyone, everyone can teach me something, and you are a teacher to everyone. We, teachers don't just have the title teacher. We teach indirectly by every choice we make, how we conduct ourselves, what we say, what we don't say, the choices that we make. And so if we, in our relationships, look at the people in our lives as teachers, we will find that we interact with them differently. We may not always like the package that they're wrapped up in, but to recognize everyone is my teacher is a significant turning point and a turning point of humility in our relationships. So recapping, 
The first turning point was when we stopped blaming and learned to take responsibility for our feelings. The second, when we bring our true selves, our whole selves into our relationships. The third, when we practice clear and open-hearted communication. The fourth, when we practice, when we replace judgmentalness with curiosity. The fifth, when we see anger as a cry and cruelty, when we see anger as a cry and cruelty as a cry for love and help. Six, when we practice being a safe place and listen with the ears of the heart. And seventh turning point, when we learn to see all others as our teachers. I hope there's at least one in there that you went, that's the one I'm really going to be practicing. Namaste. Many people enjoy Reverend Wendy's talks and meditations and aren't able to attend the Unity Center in person. If you're part of our extended family from around the world and would like to help support the Unity Center, please go to our website or download our free app, which offers even more ways to connect with the Unity Center. Namaste. Namaste.